This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. I mean, usually the 4th of July, it used to be a moment of pause for Washington and the press. For a few days, politicians would return home to march in their local parade, stuff themselves with hot dogs, and wrap themselves in the American flag. I mean, the press took a break as well, but not anymore. This week, Washington delivered a bevy of news that put to rest the notion of a summer recess. So first to pop was the report that a bag of cocaine was found in the White House. Now how it got there and who was doing blow in the West Wing, it's anyone's guess and thus far there have been few answers. On Sunday night, the White House was briefly evacuated due to the discovery of the white powdery substance, which was discovered where folks on White House tours are asked to leave their cell phones. Now after the substance was identified to be Peruvian marching powder and not anthrax, right-wing conservatives as well as former President Trump pounced on the news as if it was raw meat thrown to a bear. And I quote, Does anybody really believe that the cocaine found in the West Wing of the White House, very close to the Oval Office, is for the use of anyone other than Hunter and Joe Biden, Trump wrote Wednesday on his untruth social media site? But watch, the fake news media will soon start saying that the amount found was very small and it wasn't really cocaine, but rather common ground-up aspirin. And the story will vanish, Trump continued the rant. The former president then set his sight on special counsel Jack Smith, whose office recently indicted him on charges related to the mishandling of classified documents. Trump asked if Smith had been seen in the vicinity of the drugs, claiming that he, and again I quote, looks like a crackhead to me. Where are the White House security tapes, like the ones I openly and happily gave to deranged Jack Smith, which will quickly show where the cocaine in the White House came from? They already know the answer, but probably don't like it. I mean, this is the ranting of the former president, this fucking lunatic just going on and on. I mean, this is absolutely deranged shit. And let's not forget for a moment that Don Jr. has appeared on video countless times looking like he just inhaled an entire eight ball. I mean, the idea that this is somehow the responsibility of President Biden is just fucking ridiculous. And yes, Hunter has had well-publicized addiction issues, but the notion that he's walking around with a gram of blow in his pocket, I mean, it's just fucking absurd. This is a place of business, not a 70s orgy. No one is cutting up lines on the Resolute desk. So whoever was carrying the drugs was doing so in a manner where they either forgot that they had it, or it was carelessly dropped, or maybe not so carelessly, maybe it was done on purpose. But regardless, whoever it was is most certainly shitting bricks as they await a visit from the Secret Service. Now both President Biden and Hunter were at Camp David when the substance was discovered. Law enforcement officials state that because the area where the cocaine was discovered is so heavily visited, that it will be tough to determine who was responsible for bringing the drug into the White House in the first place. Authorities are looking at visitor logs from Sunday as well as looking for any surveillance video that may be available. 
Arkansas GOP Senator Tom Cotton sent a letter to the director of the Secret Service on Wednesday asking for more information about the incident. And I quote again, I urge you to release that information quickly, as the American people deserve to know whether illicit drugs were found in an area where confidential information is exchanged, Cotton wrote. If the White House complex is not secure, Congress needs to know the details, as well as your plan to correct any security flaws. I mean, you can't make this shit up, because then Florida Governor Ron DeSanctimonious, he took his shots on Tommy Lahren's podcast. I think a lot of us have believed that the Biden administration has been blowing it on a lot of fronts. But I guess it's a little bit more literal than even I had thought, DeSantis joked. And it's not funny. I can tell you in Florida, my wife and I, a six- five and three-year-old running around the governor's mansion so that not someone that we see, the governor continued, that we do not have occasionally get slime out of the carpet and get marker off the wallpaper. But that's the extent of our adventures at the governor's mansion, he added. So don't worry, Ron. The only thing you're blowing is your presidential campaign, you piece of shit. I mean, this marked a desperate attempt to pivot away from a ridiculous anti-LGBTQ plus video that the DeSantis campaign released days earlier and evoked near-universal scorn from both sides of the aisle. The DeSantis War Room Twitter account posted a video over the weekend marking the end of Pride Month that called attention to former President Trump's past statements supporting some LGBTQ plus rights. The video highlights Trump's previously voiced support for allowing transgender people to use restrooms that correspond with their gender identity. Meanwhile, the video appears to contrast Trump to DeSantis' record of passing laws targeting LGBTQ plus rights, including Florida's Don't Say Gay bill, that limits the discussions of LGBTQ plus identities in public schools. A bill allowing healthcare providers to discriminate based on religious belief and a ban on Medicaid covering gender-affirming healthcare for both youth and the adults. The stupid fucking video flashes between images of the governor and traditionally masculine, presenting men, some of whom are all shirtless. Now, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who made history as the first openly gay cabinet member, he responded to the video during an appearance on CNN State of the Union Sunday morning, calling the ad, well, strange. And here's the quote. I'm going to leave aside the strangeness of trying to prove your manhood by putting up a video that splices images of you in between oiled up shirtless bodybuilders and just get to the bigger issue that is on my mind whenever I see this stuff in the policy space, which is again, who are you trying to help? Who are you trying to make better off, Buttigieg said. I just don't understand the mentality of somebody who gets up in the morning thinking that he's going to prove his worth by competing over who can make life hardest for a hard-hit community that is already so vulnerable in America, Buttigieg added. And now for the main event. Today, we welcome legendary politician turned political analyst, Michael Steele. 
Steele made history when he became the first African-American candidate to be elected to statewide office in Maryland, where he served as lieutenant governor from 2003 to 2007, and when he was chosen to be the first African-American chairperson of the Republican National Committee from 2009 to 2011. Steele's ability as a communicator and commentator have been showcased daily on MSNBC, where he's become a fierce opponent of Donald Trump and the MAGA agenda. He's also appeared on Meet the Press, Face the Nation, HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher, and The Daily Show, to name just a few. In addition to his work on television, Steele can be heard each week on his radio show on Sirius XM or on the Michael Steele podcast, which has become a must-listen for those on both sides of the aisle. He joins me today as former President Trump awaits now new charges from the DOJ and special prosecutor Jack Smith and more. I mean, when I say more, I mean much, much more. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, Michael. So, look, before we get into all things indictment, I want to discuss with you the Supreme Court 6-3 to and then 6-2 to decision striking down affirmative action in college admissions. Now, you know, it was brought on by, I think it was USC and then by against Harvard. Um, in her dissenting opinion, Justice Sotomayor wrote, and I quote, in so holding... The court cements a superficial rule of colorblindness as a constitutional principle in an endemically segregated society where race has always mattered and continues to matter. Now, reading your tweets about the decision, you have a very different opinion, and I'd love for you to share it. You know, I'd love for you to share your stance with my listeners. Yeah, no, it, it, thank you for that. And it, it's, a, it's a seminal moment for the country in a number of ways, because what I think people need to understand is that the Supreme Court used the first constitutional affirmative action uh, law, the 14th Amendment, <laughs> to justify undoing affirmative action. Um, the country has, since um, even before uh, the Civil War, um, has struggled with trying to figure out how to uh, embrace the rights of African Americans, Africans that they brought and enslaved uh, to this land. Um, and they have at various times found ways to do that. And whether it was the Civil Rights Act um, of the 18, of the late 1850s or the early 1860s, certainly the 14th Amendment, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, um, they're all designed to try to rectify uh, and to atone for the original sin of slavery. Um, and for the Supreme Court today, talk about, oh, you know, we are, this is a colorblind nation. Oh, the hell it isn't. This, like, this country has never been colorblind from the very shores of 1619 to the ruling that it made uh, in 2023. Race is always animated and has always been and always will be until we properly adjust, uh, 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 address it, be uh, a part of the fabric of our institutions, our relationships, um, our conversations, our decisions, 
And no matter of high, mighty bullshit from the Supreme Court about colorblindness, keeping in mind that Justice Roberts uh, and Clarence Thomas, especially Justice Roberts, have for most of their career had an eye on undoing um, this, uh, this ruling of uh, this effort around uh, affirmative action. Uh, and now, you know, with, with Justice Thomas, who has his own issues with affirmative action. I mean, I don't understand, you know, Clarence, I get it. You know, you, you went to you went to Yale and and you thought, you know, when you got out of Yale, that the white boys were going to treat you the same way they treat other <laughs> white boys because you had a Yale law degree. That ain't how it works. And now you're going to you're going to put all that on on, you know, uh, on the on the next generation of African Americans who still have to enter the same system you entered into, mm-hmm. and deal with the same level of racism, although different, better hidden, better better designed, but nonetheless invidious, insidious rather. Uh, it makes no sense. So, uh, you know, I say to Democrats, you know, who bemoan this and whine, you you saw it coming and you did nothing about it. He didn't focus on. Well, we talked. Didn't focus. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that in the past. Yeah, they didn't focus on the Supreme Court. So, you know, here we are now. Now we're going to have to adjust. But here's the thing, Michael, and you you probably appreciate this given your your background in law and business. Um, this was the first step. It was academics. It was okay. Now, you know, institutions of higher learning uh, can no longer use race. The next will be business. Uh, that will be the next the next step. I, I guarantee you that because you've gotten on that slippery slope um, and you're going to slide into it where, it, you know, the Supreme Court is going to say, well, we have colorblind business community as well as black family neighborhoods are still redlined today. But that's OK. You know, Mike, like you, I have a real problem with that term colorblindness. Right. I'm not colorblind. I mean, I don't see great colors and shades, right? <laughs> Simply because of my eyes. But right. I understand that you're black. I understand that I'm white. I just don't give a shit. Yeah. There's a big difference. I was asked that question. Oh, well, you know, because when I was in college, we had friends from every, every group across the board. Uh, black, white, um, Hispanic. We had Italian. We had Jewish. We had Muslim. We had, you know, some of my closest friends, Palestinian, Saudi, Mm -hmm. Jordanian. Uh, I had, you know, friends from Long Island. I mean, they were Muslim, Jewish, Christian. I didn't give a shit. There were those that I liked, not because of who you are, because I liked you. And there are those that I despised, regardless of, again, black, white, brown, made no difference to me. I don't give a shit. And I hate that word. And I, I'm, I speak to a couple of people during the day right after, you know, the Supreme Court decision. I don't know why everybody feels that they have to call me to ask me my opinion on it. My opinion doesn't matter. I'm not on the Supreme Court. But the problem that a lot of people have is that they say that, and I think it's a, it's a cop-out, but it's a, it's a good rationalization, that there are so many brilliant, brilliant black people, brown people, Asian people, white people, let the best of the best compete in order to get in, and that these quotas are but actually Michael, hurting but, people. But Michael, here's the, pro- this, uh, here's the problem. Uh, yeah. Can I just say, here's the problem. That's bullshit. 
Because the best. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree because with you. Because the best of the best don't compete. They don't compete. You know why? Because my daddy just, your daddy just spent a million dollars to put his name on the building, and you're in that school. Right? No, that's two and a half for Kushner. And, and guess what? And guess what? That was that was two and a half million by Kushner exactly, to go to Harvard. Exactly, and 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 my GPA is two points higher than yours, right? And yet, mm-hmm. everyone everyone looks at me at that institution and go, "Well, how did you get here?" Well, I got here because I had a four point five GPA. How did you get in? Oh, your Do you mind dad. Can I ask you a quick question? Can I just stop you on that? Sure. Because I've been hearing this. Look, I went to school. I was the chairman of the board of trustees for a private school here in the city. How do you get better than a 4.0? Well, because I mean, a they, 4.0 they, is a perfect yeah, score. They, they've re- this is part of the problem. Yeah, yeah. This is part of the problem. Like I know out in Long Island, you know, they have schools. Uh, the kid turns out, see, I have a 4.3 GPA and I'm like number 41 in my class. 4.3 GPA? <laughs> the fuck you talking about? I mean, that means you're better than perfect and you're number 41 in your grade. It's so stupid. This is the problem. Everybody knows, well, APs are worth more than so on. Well, then don't fucking take an AP. What do you want from me? You know who actually... So I just want to also bring this up, talking about the whole issue of colorblind. And I'm with you on this because nothing in life is fair. It's just not. But listen to what former President Donald Trump said about yesterday. Okay. He said it was a great day for America. All right? It's a great day right. for America. Right. But you know what? Um, i tell you, it's um, Michelle Obama had a much different yeah. view onto it. It wasn't perfect. But there's no doubt that it helped offer new ladders of opportunity for those throughout our history have too often been denied a chance to show how fast they can climb. I mean, one of them, again, is so antagonistic and the other has so much optimism to it. And then basically Joe Biden echoed Michelle Obama's statement and saying it's a severe disappointment. And he said that we have a real problem. We have a real rogue problem. Supreme Court. I do want to ask you one thing, though. Why was Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, why was she recused from the decision here? Because if I understand correctly, um, she actually, I believe, uh, either the school or, or that a form of that case was argued before her um, in a previous setting. So she had she had she had a um, a pre a prior relationship with um, uh, it, with the case, uh, and so she recused herself because that's what you do, <laughs> Clarence. Um, that's that's what you do when you have a conflict, um, even even if it's a perceived conflict. I mean, not not an actual conflict, but even if if you're a, a, a judge on a bench. Uh, and there's a perception that there's a conflict, you recuse yourself. Um, and when there's an actual conflict, you absolutely recuse yourself. So she did the right thing, but, you know, that's that's not the example followed by some others on the court. Well, that's true, and I do have to say that I was quite impressed with um, Justice um, Sotomayor um, in her dissenting opinion. Was she... Um, so pissed off yeah. that she actually read, you know, her summary um, in the courtroom. And you know what? Good for her saying, in, in an essence, 
that this decision stands in the way and rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress. We're seeing this more and more now from the Supreme Court, yeah. the rolling back of Roe v. Wade, the rolling back now of um, affirmative action. And, and, I'll tell and you another rights. thing that and, a lot of people don't know, and voting, voting rights, rights before that. And yeah. th that's right. And on top of that, the effect of the Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision goes further than just the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It has implications on many other cases, yeah. one in which right now I have uh, an appeal pending here um, in, you know, um, in regard to the Michael Cohen versus United States of America, Donald Trump, the, for the unconstitutional remand of me back to Otisville, mm -hmm. making me the first political prisoner held by my own country because I refuse to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. 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 All right. It is inconceivable to me that there aren't more members of Congress, that Joe Biden himself, that Merrick Garland, that they are not taking the stand, they, taking this and putting this on a mantle. How do you imprison an American citizen because he won't waive his First Amendment constitutional right? Think of the, about the danger that that poses. Forget about me. I already went through my shit. What about you? What about every one of my listeners? What about every American out there that you have to worry that if you say something that the president of the United States or maybe any member of Congress or maybe it'll be any member of the city council or right. maybe even your school board that they can turn around and have you imprisoned? That's fucked up. Well, it is. And it is, I, I, I think, uh, a, a, an important and dangerous precursor to the future. Um, they, look, it, there there are ramifications um, in the future, in the near future, uh, resulting from a political party which has turned on the Constitution itself and now uses the Constitution uh, and weaponizes it against uh, the American people. Uh, using the rule of law that it once claimed to uphold and weaponizing it against the American people. Uh, there is more of that to come. I mean, I, I cannot stress enough um, the not just Donald Trump. Again, folks need to understand this is beyond Trump. You listen to some of these candidates running for president, whether it's Vivek or, or certainly uh, Ron DeSantis, that they have a pronounced authoritarian streak in them where they know more what they're going to do. I'm you know, we're going to we're going to reconfigure the rights of the American people in our image. Uh, and so your case becomes just, um, you know, the foundation upon which future rights are are diminished and taken away. Uh, and and marginalized, and and so the success that you have in your case, in your appeals, and calling this out now, um, will go a long way, I think, to to turning on the lights to what the future potentially looks like, um, and at least, if nothing else, getting officially on the judicial record, on the constitutional record, the violation. 
and as a reminder to those who want to attempt, don't go there. But we're going to have to fight for that. Like you're fighting now, uh, the rest of and us I'll are going to be joining I, you in that fight. Trust me. And there are. There are there are members of Congress so far. I mean, um, you have Dan Goldman. Mm-hmm. You have Congressman Love Steve Dan Cohen. I, can I just say, have, take a moment and say Dan Goldman. Dude, he just... Anyway, he is a, he's an amazing member of the House. So right he, was the, he was there. He was speaking and he spoke about it, as did Congressman Steve Cohen, mm-hmm. as did Congressman Jamie Raskin. Yeah. God bless all of them. Yeah. All right. Jamie Raskin, while undergoing chemotherapy and beating his cancer, had the, had the fortitude to get up before the Jim Jordans of the world and that nonsensical whatever the name of that committee is mm-hmm. the committee on weaponization of right. government weaponization and of he government, said, yeah. what could be more of a weaponization by an administration than donald trump jailing his former lawyer because he didn't want him to write a book and jamie went in for like a three three and a half minute spiel and you know how jamie speaks it was Powerful, yeah. no different than Congressman Cohen and, yeah. and Dan Goldman, another brilliant guy. We cannot take our foot off the gas on this issue. No. And people are like, oh, yeah, it's just Cohen whining. Fuck you. I'm not whining. I went through my shit already. My fear, my fear, Mike, is that it's going to happen to you. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to happen to the next American. One thing you have to understand, whether it's the overturning of Roe, whether it's now affirmative action, voting rights, etc., once you lose those rights, you're not getting them back. All right? Yeah. Yet we're not going to see those rights returned. Unless, of course, Joe Biden maybe puts another, what would that be, uh, four people uh, on the Supreme Court? Right, right. Right, and just adds, it's constitutionally permitted. I would just fucking do it. And you know what? You turn around and you say, well, it's, it goes beyond Donald Trump. I agree. It's way beyond Donald Trump. But let's not forget, Donald Trump openly and stupidly, which we're seeing more and more daily, (laughs) openly and stupidly said that he wants to rewrite the Constitution. Could you imagine a guy who writes in fucking crayon and Sharpie wants to rewrite the Constitution of the United States of America? And here's what it's going to say. I, Donald J. Trump, I'm the ultimate decider of anything and everything. Thank you. Yeah. And he's going to sign his name to it, and that's going to become the way that he would want the law to work, that he decides whatever he wants. Whether it conflicts with his earlier decision doesn't matter. He's the ultimate judge, jury, and executioner. And that's a real problem. It is a real problem. And, and, and again, it, it is what, what we all need to be on guard against, as you said. It, it is, it is uh, look, the one thing about Donald Trump that I still, it boggles the mind that people don't get, particularly in the media, is that the man will tell you what he's going to do because he's that arrogantly dumb that he, he just knows he can say it, and there's not going to be much you can do to stop him. And, and, and that's borne itself out on a number of occasions. So when he says to people, I am your retribution, you need to understand what he's saying and what, what comes with that and what will come from that. Um, and cases like yours will be, will be the norm. 
a dime a dozen. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you. And, and yeah, I mean, it's look, since we're talking about Donald now, you know, now on to yesterday's breaking news, <laughs> right, from, from the Independent that the Department of Justice, and, you know, good for them for breaking this story, that the Department of Justice could bring between 30 to 45 additional additional criminal charges against Trump in the upcoming weeks and could do so in a number of different venues, right? Is this superseding indictment a way for Jack Smith to mitigate any potential damage that Judge Eileen Cannon could do to the case by just, say, burying Trump in a multitude of charges? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think uh, smart minds... Uh, in the Justice Department, given the track record of uh, just of of Judge uh, Eileen uh, Cannon, um, know that uh, this is that case is is fraught with problems um, from the way she will uh, pot could potentially rule um, to actually creating an atmosphere in which, uh, since this is being done in Trump's backyard, having a, just one juror, all you need is one, um, uh, to create a mistrial. So what you're, I think what you're going to see is, you know, this play out in a number of potential places. Uh, Bedminster, New Jersey, for example, being one, potentially here in Virginia. Um, being the other, where Trump has other properties. Because the question is, which is a legitimate question, uh, is, well, what makes you think that all the documents are just in one location? And and they're not. I mean, it's, as, as we've already seen. So, uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to have, I, I, tactically, I think uh, Jack Smith is is just, uh, he's playing another level of chess uh, in this in this particular uh, situation, and it will be interesting to see, knowing some of the players as we now know them, how he how he maneuvers uh, to preserve the integrity and the viability of the cases that he's intending to bring. Right. So let me just, for my listeners, explain what a superseding indictment is. A superseding indictment is a second set of charges against an already indicted defendant. In this case, obviously, that's Donald J. Trump. That could include, in this specific case, more serious crimes. Now, I'm not sure how you get more serious crimes than the you know, dissemination of uh, top secret you know, documents you know, going back you know, to... The Rosenberg days, right? right? I mean, yeah, right. That's treason against America, which, by the way, happens to be punishable by death. And I get the notion that this is, you know, Judge Eileen Cannon, and she's made some pretty shitty rulings in the past. And the concern is that there could be one holdout uh, juror. And so you could have a holdout anyway, whether it was Judge Michael Steele, right. whether it's Judge Michael Cohen, you could still have it. Why? Because there's 70 million fucking maniacs <laughs> that voted for this idiot. Now, <laughs> let me let me take that. Let me pull that back just slightly because he's lost a significant number 
of that 70 million vote. They're, I mean, they said something like 70% of America don't, they, or 80%, they don't even want the guy to run. So let's even just turn around and say that it's not 70 anymore. Right. Let's say that it's 20 million. Let's say it's 25 million. What's the likelihood that out of a jury of 12, that one, one of them is a MAGA moron? And I say that the odds are, are better than you may think. Yeah, they're very you high. Know? They're high, yeah. yeah it's, it's, super, it's super high. But the question that I really have is when we're talking about additional charges of new crimes that have not been put forth uh, yet, what do you think some of those crimes could be? And, by the way, superseding indictment could also include other individuals like dear old Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani. Yeah, I, I think I think there could be uh, uh, probably conspiracy would be a, a really uh, big one, I think, um, because that, you know, putting it all together, Giuliani certainly being at the center of that, um, as well as some of the other personnel, because here's the rub. And this is the this is the thing that Trump can't control for. <laughs> he doesn't know how much his boys have flipped on him. He just does not know. Look, not everybody's going to be his accountant uh, uh, and and go to jail for him, right? <laughs> not not everybody's going right. to say, uh, "I'm such a MAGA head that I'm going to go to go to jail for Don Donald Trump." Yeah, but yeah, but but hold on, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. First of all, obviously, you're talking about Alan Weisselberg, Alan Weisselberg or, or, yeah, uh, right. as, or we or Weasel, right. as we used to call him. But Alan must have known that the decision was going to end up being something de minimis, like this hundred days, and he was willing to take that. I assure you, the case here with Rudy uh, is not a hundred days in right. No, it's not. I'm pretty it's sure not, that but... they're talking about something, and and also I do personally sort of not like the term flip they're not flipping on him right what they're doing is they're providing testimony which is their obligation yeah they're Mike, obligated Mike, yeah. to do that yeah mike that that's nice that's nice nah they're flipping come on dude all right they're, they're not, all right, they're fuck not it, providing they're testimony <laughs> they're they're saving their own ass that's that's like i'm gonna tell you everything i know <laughs> because that because I don't want to go to jail for this fool. And and so yeah, the the reality of it is um the magnitude of these cases uh, around these documents uh is such that I just don't see given to your point the penalties potential penalties involved here. I mean, espionage carries the death sentence. The, the 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 jail time is like in the hundreds of years, right? So the reality of it is, um, unlike Weisselberg, who had, oh, yeah, you get 100 days. He's like, okay, you're going to take care of my wife and family for 100 days. I'm good, right? Well, he's been doing that for 45 years. He's been years, doing that so, for 45 yeah. years. Now, I'm sure that if, if Mr. Weisselberg were facing, you know, the rest of his life in prison, that would be a different conversation uh, that he would have had with prosecutors. Trust me on that one. At his age, I, I just don't see this man thinking he wants to die in prison. But the reality of it is for Mark Meadows, 
And now even for Rudy Giuliani, who was voluntar- voluntarily went in and talked, started talking, the reality of this is now coming home for them. And I just think that what what Jack Smith has been able to uncover through the coming together of various conversations, communications, but via text, email, et cetera, he now has a fuller picture of exactly what this was and exactly who the players were. And he's just gone back to them and says, well, now let me share a little bit of what I know you did and your role. And I bet you more than anything else, that that's what's breaking this thing open to, to the point where he's now talking about a superseding indictment. So since we're talking about Jack Smith, you know, the man seems utterly unflappable know, to me and basically immune to whatever bullshit that they throw at him. The guy just doesn't give a fuck. No. He, he's like he's like. Tish James, our New York Attorney General, she's just unsinkable. Whatever they threw at her, she don't give a shit. Onward and forward. The same thing with Jack Smith. So if you would, discuss with me how you think that he's doing so far and what do you think his strategy is for the long haul in order to prosecute, right, to hold Donald Trump accountable? I I think he, you you nailed it, um... Uh, I think his background lends himself to this type of prosecution um, up against a uh, nefariously slippery uh, character, up against someone who um, is former president of the United States. You, you've got to have balls of steel to, to go into that fight, um, particularly given that all of the institutional systems around you, Michael, are still like, oh, my God, it's the former president. We've never prosecuted a president. Oh, my God, what do we do? What do we do? Right? He's like, get the hell out of the way. Sit down. Let me show you what you do, which leads to this. In terms of how he is and will continue to approach this, what I've heard about him is being borne out. And you've used the term. He's unflappable. He's steely-eyed in his gaze. And once he's locked in, there is no unlocking until this is done. So the discipline, the organization, the the coordination, the, you know, the stick-to-itiveness of bringing this prosecution, he doesn't care that it involves a former president of the United States. He sees an individual who has been alleged to have committed crimes, he is investigating those crimes. He's now brought indictments for those crimes. And it looks like he's bringing additional indictments for those crimes, for other crimes. So for him, it's all a methodical process that you cannot be distracted by the politics, the personalities, and the pissy little, you know, uh, politicians who run around nipping at your heels like Jim Jordan and others. Mm-hmm. Um, who, if, if, if they don't shut up and sit the hell down, he may turn his gaze on you. <laughs> no, let me tell you something. As a person who he's turned his gaze on, I can tell you that I understand what Jack Smith is going through. And, you know, while I do call him unflappable, and, you know, we have to just remember, uh, you know, he is the prosecutor in this case, right. but the amount of attacks that come at you when Donald Trump and his sycophantic followers 
you know, are, um, as you said, nipping at your heels. Right. It's a very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable situation. Um, and so I give him the utmost of respect yeah. for not, wave, not wavering. You know, I wish, in some respects, I wish Merrick Garland would be as unflappable. You know, this shit, we wouldn't be. I really believe that he had the ability two and a half years ago when he became attorney general, this case should have then been brought right then and there. He should have then yeah. appointed a special counsel yeah. or he should have done it on his own. You know, it's not like Merrick Garland is, you know, a pushover. It's just a different personality. He just didn't want the political fallback. Right. And, right. you know, and we're all suffering as a direct result. And it's something that I really think that has to be taken into consideration. But since we're talking about this whole bullshit with Donald Trump, I mean, wouldn't it be nice, in all fairness, if he would just go away? That he would just step away from this whole political, maybe move out of the whole fucking country, right? And that way, you and I can do this podcast and we can talk about important things like the economy, right. like veterans, right. like mental health, like guns, like out drugs, and you know, with uh, borders, immigration. Can't we talk about the infrastructure? Why can't we talk about the important things? Instead, we're talking about fucking Donald <laughs> Trump in his dirty diapers. Yeah. And, and who's going to be the one, you know, to kick him in the diaper the hardest? It's it's fucked up. I mean, we've really become almost like a like a Kardashian country where everything is reality based. But are you concerned at all about the South Florida location of the trial? Because um, that is a solid MAGA county, right? I think Trump is counting on the fact. I really do. And I'm sure the idiots that are around him right now, like Boris Epstein, they're counting on the fact that he'll get that one juror. All you need is one. Um, who will give him the hung jury and the mistrial that he's looking for. And that person is most probably in South Florida. Discuss yeah, that I, with I, me. I, I, no. How do you get, let me ask you this, Michael. How do you get a 12-panel jury in a case against Donald J. Trump where one of them is not already MAGA? Or MAGA influence? That, that, uh, that is the... Big question, dude. I I don't know. I'm I would not have necessarily brought this uh, case there, but he had no choice. He had no choice. Um, or did he? I mean, I, I don't know. He did not. You know, he did not. He could not because the first thing that they would have done is they would have challenged. You know the jurisdiction yeah, onto it. Yeah, that's They would have, cha yeah, the Trump team would have challenged. So he sort of nipped that in the bud. So they kind of boxed him into that, mm -hmm. into that corner. But here's the thing: the voir dire process, the process of of selecting jurors, I think is going to be very intense, and I think there will be enormous profiles done on every one of those jurors their social media, their uh, conversations, all public um, uh, references that they have made, may have made um, to begin to understand. And they've done movies in the past about this process and in, in big, big trials where the jury, where it comes down to a jury and it matters. Prosecutors are very keen at making sure that 
um, their jury selection process is going to be intense as the trial itself. It has to be in this case, Michael, you know that, because as you said, it only takes one asshole. Uh, and I refer to them that way because that's what they will be if they go on to into this case with that intent to save Donald Trump, to protect Donald Trump. Uh, and so you're going to have to figure out how to vet that uh, in the voir dire process um, as much as possible. But as you know, man, you still run the risk. You still run the risk. And you yeah. hope that our system is designed in a way uh, to not just withstand that, but to impose on that individual who may have that intent at the beginning of the trial by the end of the trial recognizing shit i can't i love donald trump but damn you know and and that's that's what you hope comes out of it um if they go in with that particular intent to rescue or save donald trump from from the witch hunt you know i want to play both sides of the coin here because you're right, the system has to be legitimate. And, you know, I attack the system, yep. the DOJ and the entire and most prosecutors um, because they don't really, as Judge Jed Rakoff wrote in his book, um, why the innocent plead guilty and the guilty go free. Prosecutors don't really prosecute anymore. That's not what their goal is. Their goal is to convict. I don't want anybody on that jury either who has such a disdain for Donald that no matter what information is provided during that trial, right. that they automatically want to see that ass in prison or convicted. I don't want that either. I want it, and I've said this a thousand times and it's worth restating again. I don't want to see Donald Trump indicted, charged, prosecuted, convicted, simply because I fundamentally disagree with him on most of everything right. that he says, I want him to be indicted, prosecuted, charged, convicted, because he's guilty. And that's the problem. Because the first thing that he does is he goes out there and he starts talking about witch hunt. It's all a continuation of the witch hunt. Right. That's right. all that it is. They don't want your favorite president to run because they know that he could beat Joe Biden. All right. And they don't want I'm not fighting for me, he says. I'm fighting for you, right? This is all Hitler-type talk, right? Right. This is He uses the same words that Hitler used with witch hunt, fake media. It's not about me. It's about you. Look at what, look at what the Jews are doing. Look at what mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Jewish sympathizer is doing to you and to this country. He plays on these people. I don't want those people on the jury either. I don't want either side. I want people who will listen to the facts and make a determination that's legitimate. That's what I want, because right now, our Supreme Court favorability is at the lowest that it has ever been. Right. And I hate to say it, rightfully so. Right. Our DOJ is at the absolute lowest in terms of favorability Agreed. that it's ever been. Even our Congress is at its lowest favorability. And you have people like Marjorie Toilet Green, and you have Lauren Boeberts and the Matt Gates and the Josh Hawleys and the Ted Cruz's. You have all of them to thank for it, right? Even Lindsey Graham, you have them all to thank for the disdain that the American people 
that we have right. for these members of Congress who don't give a shit about the American people. This is all about them raising money and being reelected and going on their 14th, 15th term. This is bullshit. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that assessment about having the um, system um, play this fairly um, and a jury uh, that is comprised of his peers who objectively look at the facts and the evidence and, and fairly conclude one way or the other his guilt or innocence. Um, and, and my hope is that, that that is exactly what happens with all the talk, I think, appropriate and concerning about uh, the judge's potential behavior, the, uh, a jury member going rogue. Um, all of that is is important to understand and, and to contextualize. But I, I have hope that in the end, uh, the nature of of our system comes through the true nature comes through and that you know the better angels if you will prevail in in this scenario one way or the other you know they can look at that evidence and and conclude uh that it is not as as the prosecution has painted it and he's innocent of the charges they can look at that evidence and conclude it is as the prosecution has painted and he's guilty of that charges. And that's all we ask them to do. Leave your MAGA bullshit at home. Leave your your anti, your, you know, Trump bullshit at home. If you are asked to serve on that jury, serve with dignity, serve with uh, humility, uh, and serve with honesty, uh, because the rest of us are relying on you to get it right. And and if you don't, then you're doing all you're doing is uncorking bigger problems for our country um, uh, down the road. And and I just think it's I think it's important. So I have faith, Michael, that that's how that will play itself out, that uh, Judge Eileen Cannon will will be a straight shooter, not try to influence the uh, a juror with her rulings um, or or persuade the outcome one way or the other with with her rulings uh, and that jurors will sit there intently, respectfully and purposefully um, evaluating the evidence. The prosecution will come prepared to do their job. The defense will do its job. And those of us watching and listening um, will will see this process work the way it's supposed to work because the stakes are high my friend you know that the stakes are too high well the stakes are the stakes are high and i just wish that i shared you know your rosy colored glasses <laughs> as somebody who's been victimized yes, by the system you know firsthand not once twice twice you know firsthand twice. so you know i i don't have the same i have this i share the i'm, I'm not optimistic i'm hopeful but I'm not optimistic yeah. that that's what's going to happen. And even if it doesn't, see, here's the bad part. Even if it doesn't happen, that everybody on that jury is going to be exactly as you described them, that they are there to do their job. They're leaving all of their beliefs at home when they come into that courthouse and that they are going to give an honest, fair and legitimate decision at the end. OK, yeah, that's great. What's Donald going to do no matter what? Unless he wins, yeah. all right? Unless yeah. he wins, he's going to, of course, turn around and say, 
they're all Trump, they're all Trumpaters. Right. That this is all a, and no matter what you say about them, you could have photo, a, a person there with 50 photos of Donald. The guy could have given him every dollar he's ever had. Donald will still say that he was paid off, yeah. that this is a witch hunt, and so on. And that's the problem with somebody like Donald Trump, because truth and responsibility yeah. and accountability not are not words that either that's he it. could spell or that a part of his moral compass. So let me ask you this, right? Because since we're talking about the jury, they're gonna be hearing testimony about Donald Trump's failure to return documents. They're gonna see the timeline going back a year and a half when they asked, when NARA asked for the return of documents and the lies and then the affidavits by lawyers and so on. What's your reaction to the audio of Donald Trump that was released by CNN earlier in the week. When you actually hear the former president of the United States in his own, in his own words, in his own voice, basically verbalizing a felony, yeah. acknowledging that what he did, I don't see how anybody sees it differently than I did, other than Donald. Because now it's newspaper clippings. It was his dirty diaper. Right. It was his uh, right. golf shirts. It was uh, it was golf balls rattling around inside the boxes. Only Donald could come up with something that stupid and think that he's going to be able to convince you know the majority of this country. Yeah, the 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 audio tapes are damning because on those tapes he admits, oh yeah, this. You know, I could have declassified this, but I didn't. Um, and I'm because right, he could declassify a newspaper. Uh, yeah, and because and I'm now showing it to you. Um, and so and then he says it's off the record. By the way, it's off the record. Yeah, right. It's it's off the record. It's off the record. Well, you know, it really doesn't matter whether it's on the record or off the record. You weren't supposed to have those documents, <laughs> and, and you damn sure weren't supposed to be showing them to anybody on the record or off the record unless they had the appropriate classifications uh, level, uh, um, you know, secure, security uh, level to, to see them. And the reality of it is um, he can't help himself. He cannot help himself. He's that guy, um, you know, who's going to brag about the crimes he commits because, you know, that's what he does. He, he wants to show you how clever he is. He wants to show you how cool it is to have something. Like he even says, oh, isn't this cool? Yeah. No, dude, you it, it ain't cool. What's going to be cool is your ass sitting in a jail cell. That's going to be cool because it's cold in there. I mean, it's it's it, he doesn't connect the dots the way you and I would because his his megalomania and, and arrogance leads him to believe he's untouchable and he's right. He's always right. He's never wrong. Um, and he can never do wrong. Um, and so, yeah, guys like that, yeah, I can declassify a top secret national security document just by thinking about it at home at 2 o'clock in the morning. Up oh, is declassified. He actually believes that. Um, and to the extent that he doesn't, he knows that there are suckers out there who will. And that gets, again, back to the point when the jurors hear the tape that we've all heard. And I suspect that there's going to be more of that, that they were healed, that they were healed that here that we did not. How do they absorb that? How do they take that in? How do they respond when they hear to the example you gave someone who may be more MAGA than not, 
listening to the man in his own words say uh, what he said. Here's the problem. Access Hollywood tape. You hear the man bragging about sexually assaulting women. And yet the people who support him were like, okay, so what? And that that's the problem in, in this case with potentially with a juror or the jury is those biases that you appropriately reference are are blinding to what they're hearing and seeing in the evidence. And they just go, so what? He said, he said there were were boxes and there were shirts and, you know. But this one, this one is different. It is different. I know it's different. It's different because it's it's different because it's national security and it affects everyone. You know, I had guys who said to me in there and they're they like Trump, not because they like Trump for his morals or lack of them. In fact, they like him because he has no morals. They likes the fact that he can say, you could grab him by the pussy. They think it's fucking funny, right? Until it's their wife or their daughter. Then it's not so funny. Right. Well, you know what? In this specific case, it's your national security that's at risk. Had people gotten a hold of these war plans, for example, and we were going to invade Iran, and somehow they already had our, um, our memo on it, well, now they have their military set up exactly where the American planes or, or ships and so on, where our service men, you know, members are going to be, um, you know, where the service members are coming in in order to invade. Right. right? Now, all of a sudden, they're getting slaughtered because the, the adversary right, has advanced knowledge of our move. And why? Well, because Donald needed to show off. But here's the point. If I was Jack Smith and I was the prosecutor in this case, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I want to be very clear. That is Donald Trump's voice. Now, he may say artificial intelligence. He may claim that they were not top secret documents, that these were really newspaper clippings and love letters from Kim Jong-un and Putin and Mohammed bin Salman and dirty diapers and golf balls and whatever the fuck he wants to say. But ladies and gentlemen of the jury, two days later, two days later, the same idiot goes out and makes a statement that he was basically lying. Yeah. That he was lying, that this recording is an untruth, that he was lying and ba- bragging. He was just, you know, trying to, being machismo about top secret documents, that there were no documents. So I don't see how they intend on using that as a legitimate defense. Hey, I was lying. All right. How do you think something like that should play to a jury? I don't think well. Yeah, I, I don't think it. I don't think it plays well uh, either. And 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 besides, it's just not believable. Uh, the vast amount of evidence that we have from uh, you know ballrooms to bathrooms of documents um, it says that yeah that you you weren't lying um, that you you had these documents for reason you were clearly showing these documents for 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 reason um beyond just bragging about having them so you you clip together the town hall with on cnn when he is asked 
uh, have you ever shown these documents and to anyone? And he, and he, in a moment, tells the truth and then catches himself when he goes, yeah, well, I might have. And then, well, if I, well, if I wanted to, I could. Yeah. And, if, and then like, if I wanted to, if I could, is that, well, have you shown these things? Well, well, I might have. And, and she follows up, well, what do you mean you might have, right? You can take that clip and then you juxtapose it against uh, this audio tape, right? Of him actually showing the documents to someone, right? And and telling them, this is this is this is here national security. This is classified. Isn't this neat? <laughs> this is so cool, right? That those two endpoints for me um, nailed this case. I mean, hey Mike, quick question. Something just came to my mind, and I have to throw this by you. Explain to me then how any veteran, any member of our armed forces, any family member of anyone in the armed services could be a supporter of Trump. I see this shit on TV and it drives me batshit crazy. I see people holding veterans for Trump. Really? Really? Yeah. Captain Bonespur? Yeah. Or how about you have, you know, you, know, you, you have hit, you have, whether it's law enforcement who he completely disparaged, you have members of the military who sit there they you know they come to these rallies they go there they take pictures they shake his hand do you understand that he was putting your lives on the line that he doesn't give a shit whether you live or you die he doesn't care what happens to your family the sadness and the uh, that they're going to feel for the next hundred years yeah, no, he just it doesn't care. Well, it's because it's because they they wear MAGA more than they wear their their own conscience. They know they know that this that this is not right. None of this is right. They know that. But he he serves as a political weapon for them. He serves uh, in some respects um, as a personal weapon for them against whatever grievances they have, uh, whether it's against the the institutions that they serve in. Um, or, or you know, the other political party, you know, they're they're so magnified that you know they they're blinded by their desire to quote own the libs. Um, they don't they don't make that separation. I don't understand how anyone in uniform, how whether military or civilian, uh, police, etc., um, can align themselves with this man. Because well, let's just he's call never, this, let's call it Mike. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. he's never had to your point. He's never had their interest at heart. At no. the end of the day, so you know, let's call it what it is. Though it's for the most of them, they all look the same. They all say the same stupid shit, meaning they're reading the stupid shit yeah. in the same place. Yeah. It's about white privilege. Yeah. That's it really is. what it, a it, lot of this is. is about. It is. That's, and Donald is the king of white privilege. He knows exactly how to stoke the fire, right? It's exactly why he made the comment about the affirmative action yesterday. Yeah. Instead of taking a human approach to it and understanding history, something he doesn't know or care about. But, you know, there's another guy who's problematic in a very... I hate to say it in a similar, though somewhat dissimilar way. Um, and that's Democratic um, presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yeah. Somebody who we had on this show. Uh, you know, I came in, I think he's a 
nice enough guy as I spoke to him for basically an hour, but I, don't fundam I fundamentally disagree with just about everything that comes out of his mouth as well. And, you know, he's now becomes, you know, Fox News' favorite, know, right? you know, um, go-to person, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. This man is a spreader of dangerous ideology. He has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. He's got a lot of facts, and he doesn't let you speak, and he just talks right over you about COVID, vaccinations, and all of that. You know, and I understand why Sean Hannity likes to go to him, right? You know, maybe to help him because of their animus um, to Joe Biden right. beating right. Donald Trump. And it's clearly easier for Hannity to talk about RFK Jr. than to have to deal with the fact that Donald is just sticking his fucking foot in his mouth every single day. And, you know, the favorite Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, is floundering like a fucking dead fish <laughs> right on the on the <laughs> right on the boat. What in your mind is going wrong? Let's talk about DeSantis then for a second. What in your mind is going wrong with DeSantis? Besides for the fact that he has fucking zero, zero people skills and a host of other issues, right? That really makes him seem more like a high school hall monitor, right? Or your RM in college right? than as a governor or as a presidential candidate. Well, you just summed it up there. I, I, I think I think he he's one of those one of these uh, creatures of politics that um, you know wound up at the right place uh, at the right time, making the right call. In that he went out and got Donald Trump's endorsement in in his race in eighteen and uh, got it, uh, and it, it propelled him to where he is. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's not a retail politician. He's not someone who I think has the the wherewithal to run this gauntlet. He has, it, by all accounts, and certainly from my own observation, uh, his skin is is thin as as a, a slice of onion skin, and his his <laughs> jaw is is glassier than glass. And, and the reality of it is um, he's never had the punch. And when he gets punched, uh, he will fold like a cheap suit. And, and I think that, that that is what a lot of people are seeing. The word that is floating back in this direction from his, his ventures uh, on the campaign trail is the more people see him, the less they like him. Uh, the more they engage with him, the less they see him as president. And that is a damning uh, indictment. Talk about indictments um, for a, a presidential candidate that, yeah, there were, you know, 300 people in the room to see you. But when when you walked out, half of them were like, uh, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's yeah. not a that's not a good place to be. So he's got those issues. The fact of the matter is, all of these Republican candidates, um, save Chris Christie, um, will have this issue because they're not willing to to go up against Trump. They're not willing to take them on. I ask I ask the ones I've talked to. Um, I've asked them personally, and I'll I'll put it out again. 
are you prepared to lose the primary in order to win the general? Meaning, are you prepared to do what it takes to defeat Donald Trump and could potentially lose the primary in the process uh, in order to position yourself to to actually become the nominee and win in November? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's what this boils down to. You've got to be prepared to go full bore into Donald Trump uh, relentlessly. Um, and it, it's it's left hook, uppercut, jabs. It's it's constant bombardment. Um, getting, now, on Trump, it's all about the body blows. That's it. That's exactly all about the body right, blows. Michael. That you and I know that because we we've seen it. You more than me. Um, you've seen how he operates, and he and he's he is the guy that will will throw the punch but can't take a punch. And the reality yeah. of it is, no one is willing to throw the punch at him. So we'll see. Yeah. So look, Mike, the hour goes by quick here on Mea Culpa. And I want to close by talking about something you know a lot about, where the GOP goes from here. Right. Because as someone who dedicated, you know, a good portion of your life to the Republican Party, it really has to pain you to see it being hijacked by this group of fucking lunatics. Yes. You know, my parents, my parents are are Republicans and they say this to me all the time. I mean, you know, I'm actually taking their line. They're fucking lunatics, these people. (laughs) Is there a path back for you to the GOP? And if so, what is it? And how does something like that even happen? I mean, how does the GOP today, in light of everything that's going on, divorce itself from the MAGAs, divorce itself from the Trump, you know, the Trump ideology um, and, you know, this crazy fringe? I, I unfortunately uh, don't think it does. Uh, I think it's an abusive relationship that the party now finds itself in. Uh, it has succumbed to um, the the reality that um, those ideas, those Lincoln-esque principles that defined and animated the party for 170 years uh, are no longer valid. And they've given away to a two-bit carnival barker uh, who has beguiled them um, by by telling them, I alone can do it or fix it. I am your retribution. Um, You know, yeah, all of my problems are really your problems. That's why they're coming after me. It's just a mindfuck that he has done on the party. And the reality... Uh, is Republicans like myself are are not moving in so much to save, but moving away and doing it in a way in which trying to create someplace else to land, someplace else to go. Um, to uh, our country needs more political parties. We need to expand this operation, if you will, beyond just Republicans and Democrats. Uh, I don't know if that happens in our lifetime, but it is a process that needs to start, um, particularly given just how broken the GOP is. The only way this iteration of the Republican Party survives um, and 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 regathers itself is if there's a complete political enema, you just flush it all out of the system. Uh, I just I just don't know how that happens, and I don't know who does it. Um, more importantly, um, because, you know, the presidential candidates are all in one way or another uh, 
illustrating their willingness to embrace MAGA, and that is that is a problem for Republicans. Yeah. Look, you know that the GOP has a real problem when you see um, the Koch brothers right now putting in what a billion dollars in order to defeat right Donald Trump. Right. The question really becomes, who do you back? Right. You you back Donald Trump 2.0, Ron DeSantis, you know, or you turn around and now you want to you know talk about affirmative action? Yeah, well, Tim Scott, right? He's he's just. Black Donald. I mean, right. it's, let's let's be fair. Right. I mean, I I see the same stupid shit coming out of his mouth that we see, you know, coming out of Donald's mouth. So all you're getting is you're getting a cheap imitation right. of a shit suit that you wouldn't want to buy anyway. And, so I and so, I don't and get so it. people then say, well, why 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 should I buy the shit suit when I can buy the real deal? Why right? it's still it's still there i can still take when you see right yep when you see by the way mike when you see people like adam kinzinger or liz cheney right you know um getting pushed out when you see mitt romney basically silenced yeah and i'm talking about members of the gop right who are decent honorable people right. that care more about the country than they care about MAGA or and so on two of whom right already you know got kicked out yeah. simply because they wouldn't go along with the game Good for the Cokes for doing what they're doing. Look, I may be a Democrat and have been my entire life, but that doesn't mean that I want to see the GOP burn down because, you know, I believe that we do need at minimum two parties. Right. right. right? Um, and I don't want to see one party insane and then the other party trying to fight the insanity. Right. We're just wasting a lot of our brain power and our time. But Mike, as always, you're the best. Thank you, man. I thank you for joining Absolutely. me as usual. You know, uh, I hope hopefully we'll see you soon. We have a lot more to talk about because there's a lot more stuff There's a lot of crazy so, out there. You know I'll be bothering you to come back. <laughs> I'll see you soon, pal. And now for today's mea culpa. In thinking about the cocaine recently found at the White House, I must say it's a giant nothing burger of a story. That said, it's a gift to the right-wing conspiracists who will use the fact that there were drugs found in the West Wing to weave a web of bullshit that will distract from the real issues at hand. What I am more worried about are the comments from people like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's trying very, very hard to run to the right of Donald Trump. I mean, this man is truly fucking rotten to the core. He is the darkness. I mean, Trump is an evil motherfucker who deserves to be in prison, but the man still strives to be likable. He's a sleazy lounge act, while DeSantis, on the other hand, is like a sinister prison warden. He's striving for something else entirely. He wants to return this country to a time and place that no longer exists. And in that process, with his twisted and deviant notions on humanity, well, he will just hurt a lot of people along the way. Unfortunately, I don't know how to stop him. If he's the only choice besides Donald Trump, well, the two-party system that exists in this country, it's fucking doomed. He is so far from what the GOP used to stand for that it's fucking sickening, and worse, it's frightening. The idea that he is seen as a more palatable choice, I mean, that should send shivers up your spine. Everything that you fear Trump might do from a legislative and executive order standpoint, well, Ron fucking DeSantis would actually attempt to do it as well. 
The man needs to be shut down and returned to Florida immediately. His campaign is already floundering, but it needs to be smothered for good if this country can ever hope to repair itself. So let's hope that that happens soon. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. (laughs) 